What do you do well on an empty stomach? I'm pretty productive first thing in the morning when there's nothing in my tank except a few cups of black coffee. But by the early afternoon, if I haven't eaten anything, things begin to go sideways. I get distracted. I get irritable. I get hangry, that particular brand of angry that comes with a lack of food. I wouldn't say that I'm at my best when my stomach is full, but when it's empty, I certainly have my limits. Just ask my family or my coworkers. As this academic year begins, our local schools are providing free breakfast and free lunch to all students. What good news that is. During the pandemic, those schools have struggled to feed hungry children whose families normally depend on those free or reduced meals for their daily nourishment. It hasn't been easy to do that with so many children learning from home. But no matter where you are, it's hard to learn when your stomach is grumbling. It's hard to stay focused when the pain of not eating demands your attention. Maslow's hierarchy of needs puts physiological things like food and water, shelter and clothing at the very bottom, the very first need that must be met if a person is going to grow and develop. And an empty stomach leaves someone a long way from self-actualization, from wanting to become the person that you have been created to be. Just ask a kindergarten teacher who's taught a hungry child. In today's gospel reading, Jesus' teaching on the bread of life takes a bit of a regression from lofty metaphor to basic reality, from philosophical aspiration to physiological necessity. What had been a provocative image for spiritual salvation now becomes an even more provocative image for physical sustenance. At the beginning of this long teaching on the bread of life, Jesus likened that bread to manna in the wilderness. But now, Jesus wants to compare it with his flesh, the literal meat of his body. And he makes that comparison in a way that would eventually become fuel for cannibalistic accusations made by the persecutors against the early Christians. But for us, that same strange image offers us the hope that in Christ, God is not only concerned with our spiritual welfare, but also with the most basic needs of humanity, with the hunger that so often gets in the way of our spiritual growth. Now, back in Jesus' time, manna was often used as an image for divine revelation. Wisdom and truth from above were likened to that fine, flaky substance that gave the ancient Israelites sustenance on their journey through the wilderness. We, too, describe unexpected gifts as manna from heaven, acknowledging that something good has come to us from an unexpected source. When Jesus described himself as the bread that came down from heaven, the religious authorities grumbled, not because the image was strange to them, but because when they thought of Jesus, they didn't think of anything heavenly. We know this Jesus, they scoffed. We know his parents. We know his siblings. 
He didn't come from heaven. He came from Nazareth. Jesus may have grown up in Galilee, but we know that the wisdom and truth he brought indeed came from above. But we know that in part because we have the advantage of 2,000 years of theological interpretation and teaching. Back then, the religious authorities struggled naturally to see beyond the reality that they knew. Jesus had offered the crowd a challenging message that he was the one who had come to sustain God's people not only for a wilderness journey but for all time. Jesus was the one who could feed them in a way that could lead them to eternal life. But it's hard to wrap your mind around that spiritual truth when the equivalent of your stomach is still grumbling. It's hard to believe that Jesus can give us that ultimate fulfillment we're looking for when our faith in God is still in its infancy. We need basic nourishment first. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus said, whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. If you thought spiritual bread was hard to digest, try chewing on the body and blood of Jesus. Reading this story reminded me of some of my favorite moments in the chemistry lab back when I was in high school and college. In chemistry, when you mix particular solutions that initially appear clear together, sometimes the dissolved chemicals in them interact in a way that causes a solid to drop out as if by magic. The mixing of these things tend to push those substances apart, just like this image pushes the people who heard it into opposite directions. Those who take issue with Jesus' claim about being from heaven surely find this latest assertion that his flesh is food indeed impossible to swallow. No one eats human flesh. We don't need a divinely inspired teacher to tell us that. And according to Jewish law, blood isn't supposed to be eaten either because as the life of a creature, it belongs only to God. So when Jesus begins to speak of his flesh and his blood as if they are food for God's people, those religious authorities needed no more reason to write him off. These words were sacrilegious nonsense, at least in their ears. But to those who are hungry for the salvation that Jesus offers, those who look to him to meet even their most basic needs, this invitation to feast on his flesh and blood becomes not a gruesome, unholy practice, but the way that we meet God in the most basic of human pursuits. In Christ, we find God in something as ordinary as our daily bread. In Christ, we discover that God wants to feed us first in order that after we have been nourished, we might grow into something even more spectacular. Now, traditionally, we are taught to approach life as if there is a tension between the spiritual world and the physical world, between the soul and the body. But in Christ, we discover that they are inseparable. By giving us his body, his flesh, 
Jesus invites us to receive him not through some mystical spiritual practice, but in something ordinary that we can touch and taste and smell and chew. In case we missed how literal Jesus is being, halfway through his teaching that we heard this morning, Jesus switches from the generic Greek word for eat, which lends itself to lots of metaphorical application, and he begins to use a more physical word that means chew or gnaw or or even munch. So when we munch or feast on the flesh of Jesus, we do so not only with our hearts and minds, but even with our mouths and our stomachs. The Holy Eucharist, which we gather to celebrate today, is a strange and beautiful thing. We eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus, not only to remember his death and resurrection, but to partake physically in his body and blood. This is where we make our communion with Almighty God, not by elevating our minds to those heavenly places, but by receiving the corporeal Christ even in our very hands and mouths and stomachs. How freeing it is to know that we can encounter God not only because we have molded our spiritual selves into the right shape, but because God has taken on our flesh and has given up that flesh for our sake. We meet God not only when our minds are perfectly attuned to spiritual realities, but even when our stomachs are rumbling and the distractions of our physical needs press in on our prayers because Jesus gave us not only wisdom and truth which feed the spirit, but his flesh and blood which nourish our whole selves. That means that this holy communion is not only a foretaste of the banquet that awaits us, but also sustenance for the journey that we are on in this world. This is how we carry the power of God with us out into a world where sometimes God can be hard to find. As John Chrysostom said of the Eucharist, Christ has given to those who desire him not only to see him, but to touch and eat him, to fix their teeth in his flesh, and to embrace him and satisfy all their love. Let us then return from that table like lions breathing fire, having become terrible to the devil, thinking on our head, meaning Jesus, and on the love which he has shown for us. We return from that table and go out into the world like lions breathing fire. Not because we have ascended into the heavenly places, but because Jesus has descended to meet us here and to fill us with real food, his own flesh and blood, the bread of life. Thanks be to God. Amen.